0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Counterparts. Uh, my name is John Henry Soto, and I'm here with George Batista once again. And uh, very excited. That was uh, the Doc. Doc Watson with his uh, new track. Uh, we are gonna be talking a lot about that. We're actually waiting for him to come in. And here he is. The Doc is in the house. Let me <laughs> just bring him up. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Counterparts david dog watson sir. yes
1: hello, hello hello all right, Come all right.
0: On. <laughs> thank you for being here it's always a pleasure to talk to you you're uh, just every time i hear you play every time i hear your stories every time I, uh, it's just <laughs> it's exactly that that's exactly the move i do you know i'm like yeah the doc <laughs> so um thank you for being here how you doing
1: Good, good, good. I, I was trying to hook you up on my iPad and it didn't seem like it wanted to work.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> but you made it right on time. We, we just showed that amazing clip that you sent me. With, oh, uh, cool, cool. And I definitely want to dive into that. Uh, we want to okay. talk. Yeah, we want to talk about that. Um, I know George has a couple of questions. Um, I don't. I don't know if you have you ever met George. I
2: I've never met the man. But first of all, I want to say that that clip was amazing. Uh, that music is fantastic. Thank I thank you I so really much. I am looking forward to to hearing a lot more from you and and I and I want to learn a lot about you, man, because uh, I've heard so much about you and you know some of your stories. So I'm very excited to talk to you today.
0: Cool, awesome. So George, give us some uh, give us some questions.
2: All right. Well, I mean, so, so for, for myself and maybe some folks who are not, you know, uh, not familiar, can you just talk about uh, a little bit of how, how everything started for you as far as the, uh, your background and, and I know you through college and, and, you know, the, you
0: know, starting out as a musician.
1: How far back do you want? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I, I, I personally love all the sugar hill stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That to me well, is always the best.
1: Well, You know I got a bunch of stories. I know. About a lot of stuff. Um, uh, John, did I tell you the story when uh, I went out to get a fish sandwich and a couple of fries at a Sugar Hook gang session?
0: No, I don't don't think I heard this one.
1: Okay. (laughs) So that's going to be the first first story. (laughs) But before we get to stories, let's talk a little bit about the clip that you showed. Which one was it? It was
0: the uh, the one you sent me, the longer one. It was uh, I'll play I'll play like
1: 10 seconds of it. Oh no, 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 no. I just needed to know. Oh, okay. I'm good. Um that is my very first solo project that I'm working on. And um John, you know, you with all the stuff that you do with guitar and all, you kind of get it um uh, mm. how difficult it is to to find the nerve, I'm going to say Right. Um uh, put out something on your own because you're exposed.
0: That's it. Yeah. You know?
1: And and I've always been a section guy. I worked in Chops Horns for 30 plus years, and I got the tattoo to prove it, which I'll show you yeah. later.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: But you know, I I had the comfort of numbers. Right. Um but I got to the point and I said, you know, I'm getting to the age where uh, my dad used to always say, you can only do what you do. So I have a musician's ear. And when I listen at myself, I compare myself to the other musicians. Excuse me. And I personally feel that there's a lot of Saxon flute players out there that would chew me up and spit me out. But the longer I've lived, I've realized that there's more to music than music. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know there's more to music than music. Yeah. Um, You know, you got to have personality. Man, no kidding. I was doing a gig. This is a true story. Don't worry. I'm going to give you a sugar hill one. But <laughs> I was doing a gig in a horn section for The Temptations. And we were in Atlantic City. And the alto player sitting next to me, man, this dude was nasty, all over the horn, stuff. So he gave me his record. He had a record. Okay. I looked at the cover, and he looked like an accountant (laughs) that was on his way to lunch. You know? I said, what the fuck? What the mess? So took the record home, put it on. The album was great. Hmm. But his whole presentation
3: yeah.
1: was, wasn't was happening, right. you know? Right. Now, I sent you, I think, a picture of me sitting in the chair with all my horns, hmm. right? Now, the reason I did that was because, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> my first single, um, I thought should represent me because I have so much going on. Right. My other songs, I will bring in my other guys because, uh, regardless of what people say, don't believe it. I'm not a diva. No. I'm not, <laughs> not? a diva.
0: So the articles were not true? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. Can <laughs> we beam this guy up? in <laughs> a hard time already. Um, <laughs> so um, I have. Um, On my next song, I got a killing trumpet solo, Freddie Hendrix. Terrible. I mean, he's just a nasty jazz guy. If you Google him, you'll see. He's been in Chops for many years. Um, He's playing some solos. Uh, uh, Daryl Dixon, my partner in crime for 30-plus years, he's going to be playing some. A lot of guys are going to play on my stuff, but I figured the first single should be me. And if you notice, I'm sitting in a chair with all the horns around me. And if you notice in the beginning of the video, I'm playing all the horn parts. Yeah. Except for the trumpet, because I I don't mess with brass. I mean, brass kick ass, trust me. (laughs) But uh, I'm not a brass guy. And I brought in Joe Romano, who's uh, been a, a member of CHOP's. For 20 plus years. Mm. Um, so it was just he and I. Two horn players. We did the whole session. In the beginning you see the keyboard's hands. Yeah. Uh, and the bass player. You see very little of them. The keyboard player wrote the rhythm track. The bass player got his track. <coughs> wiped it down. Just kept his keyboard. Because Skip Adams is the guy that wrote it. Mm-hmm. And he had. Maybe seven or eight different keyboards uh two basses, three guitars. He's one of these guys that's got a fertile brain
3: yeah.
1: and he just puts everything on his tracks. Now, um the base the bass player, Hubert Ease the 4th, he plays bass and drums. And he's a simplistic kind of guy. So he took all of that stuff off and just had the piano. He re-recorded the bass, drums, and he put his own fake guitar on there. And when I heard it, I was like, man, that kind of sounds like something Marvin Gaye would do. Uh, I had already cut the horns for Skip, you know, two years ago, and the song was gonna be entitled, It's a Brand New Day. Mm -hmm. So not only did I change the song, but I also, uh, you know, changed the name of the song because it's a tribute to Marvin. I figured Marvin Gaye, Marvin State. See what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yeah, yeah. It's it's still all about marketing and all yeah. about little little things yeah. to catch people's ears.
0: That's so,
1: right. So um so that's kind of kind of how that happened. I I shot the beginning of the video was in my old apartment, was in my old home in Bayonne. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. we use Hudson County Park, and then we used Broadway. So yeah. I used three areas, a couple costume changes. And um, Shamad, who did my video, he brought in a drone on some shots. I saw that. Yeah, it's kind of slick. Now, uh, this cat, Nico, which you didn't hear, is uh, a friend of mine that I worked in a wedding band with. And he's a rapper. And he's an Italian cat. And on the gig, we used to do uh, um, a Sugar Hill Gang song. And... He would go out in the audience and, what do they call it, freelance or just-
0: Yeah, freestyle.
1: Freestyle, that's mm-hmm. the word. He would just freestyle. He would talk about girls' dresses, the tie guy had on. I mean, he would just make it up on the spot. And I was like, man, this guy's amazing. Imagine what he could do if I gave him a hook. So that's what I did. I gave him the hook, Marvin stay. Told him it was about Marvin Gaye, tribute to Marvin Gaye. So he put a rap on. It. Now, me wanting to be a smooth jazz player, uh, my smooth jazz people said, Dave, they're not going to play it with that rap on there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have two versions, John. I'm going to really? have the smooth <laughs> jazz version, and I'm going to have the college station, other folks' Ooh. version.
3: Oh,
0: You're there you, know, you go. Rap nice. on. Nice. Yeah. Again, so- that's actually part of the marketing, you know I mean? You're thinking that way because that's, you got to hit it from all angles. You know what I mean? Um, I wanted to ask you because, you know, marketing was a, was probably different back in the days mm-hmm. um, compared to what it is now. It seems like it's more like the artist has to take more responsibility themselves yeah. now, where in the, in the old days you signed a deal and somebody just kind of does whatever they do in behind the scenes. Right. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's a better way of doing it, that the artist has to now have another well, part of them?
1: It depends. It depends on who you ask. And it depends on the experience you've had with record labels. Yeah. That's um, true. I know Alicia Keys, when she first got out there, they didn't want to put out her music. They wanted to mold her into somebody else. Oh, um, Patrice Russian, prolific. Poly- keyboard player singer and mm-hmm. songwriter um record label wanted to do that to her they wanted to change change girlfriend up um i had a deal with atlantic with chops horns and because we didn't come through the R&B department we got discovered by jason flam who's a heavy metal guy who signed twisted sister okay mm. what was he doing at our showcase
3: yeah, <laughs> I don't know.
1: Me either. I think he might have had some bad weed or something and walked, walked in the wrong door.
0: He was, he was twisted.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, John. Um, So, but what really happened, he heard Geffen Records was coming in from L.A. to hear us. So he was curious. Ah, uh, okay. Geffen Records hated us. He loved us. All right. <laughs> We sign the deal. We go in the studio. We finish the record. Then this young—he had to be twenty-one or twenty-two at the time—with all the long hair, this young punk rock guy or or heavy metal dude walks into the R&B department and puts the record on their desk and said, "Ah, oh, this—you know—an artist that uh—that you know, I signed, but it's R&B." So they put the record on. And these guys are saying, holy Hannah, this is better than some of the stuff that we found. Wow. So you know what's going to happen. The president or vice president is going to pull the r b department into their office and say, yo, how come this young white boy is finding me better <laughs> black music than you? Right. So right. the fix was in, my friends.
0: Head, gonna roll.
1: Yeah, man. They said, we got to squash this record because, oh. you know, so this is when I learned about the whole, the marketing game. And I know you guys know this, but I'm going to repeat it for some of our listeners. Um, Basically, what happens is when you get your deal, they give you a certain amount of promotion money. And the way that works is they send your record to certain radio stations and in certain states then they send your finished product into the record stores in the area that these radio stations are heard okay all right you with me so far john oh
3: yeah yeah i'm right okay i'm right there, okay. <laughs> I'm right there. <laughs> all right
1: so these r&b dudes sent sent it, sent our stuff out and they have to give you what they call a tracking list that shows you the radio station. Right. So, uh, you know, because I had talked with the police, I had friends all over. So I'm calling people up and, and uh, yeah, calling them because we didn't do a lot of emailing back then. So <laughs> I'm saying, man, I'm on WQUZ in your town. It's a QUZ? I said, man, don't nobody listen to that. You need to be on WCBS. I say, what? So everybody I call told me the same thing.
0: Uh,
1: so yeah. these jokers, they did send out records to the radio stations, but they sent them to ones that nobody was listening to. Why? Because when they track the record, they'd be able to go back to the bigwigs and say, look, it's not tracking. Nobody's buying this. We know good R&B, not that white boy. See what I mean?
0: Defending themselves, yeah. Yes. their own asses.
1: Right. But it took us six years. And we spent so much money of our own to get to the record label. So the next album coming out was Phil Collins, all right? Right. <laughs> so you got a two-week window. If stuff don't happen, they throw you out because they're getting ready to, to, to uh, push Phil, who was a big artist at the time. Right. So we begged, borrow, and stole, I kid you not, uh, $5,000. And we went to an independent uh, radio people, uh, uh, independent promoter, excuse me. He hit the right radio stations. Two weeks later, we got a tracking back with 61 with a bullet, okay, on Billboard. Wow. Here we go. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to the record label. Hey, look. You know, we're 61 with a bullet. The guy said, "Chops." He said, "Man, I, we we shelved that record already." We're, Phil Collins comes out tomorrow. We, I was like, "So what happens?" They said, "We use it as a write-off." Oh my! Wow. Them yeah. jokers spent over a hundred thousand dollars. But a hundred thousand dollars compared—they had Aretha, Phil. You know, come on, Atlantic yeah. Records.
0: Atlantic, you know? yeah, yeah.
1: They had a bunch of artists, and they had many divisions. You know, they had their jazz division, R&B, punk rock, heavy metal. You know, they were making money hand over foot. But mm-hmm. to sign us and to write us off was a good thing for two people, those jerks in the R&B department to show, to save face, and for mm-hmm. the company in general so they had substantial amount of money that they could write off. Right. So if you're asking me about record labels, <laughs> did you get your answer?
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think, oh I think uh, we all got our, <laughs> so I think we probably all also had that same uh, viewpoint on it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, just cause uh, it seems like we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago where record companies don't have really A&R guys anymore. Nobody oh, goes right. out to right. find artists and to actually nurture them and, bring them up again that just doesn't happen anymore they go yep. to tiktok and see who's trending on tiktok exactly and they go sign which yep. is a travesty because there's so many great artists out there that are not being heard amen you know what i mean so george you have a question i know you, you, were, you to... <laughs> no
2: no i mean it's just i'm blown away by the by the story I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I, 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 and i hope you got some drummer stories for me <laughs> i do uh, nice nice um, I'm just just curious about you know, now you know, doing your own record. I mean, it must be really freeing now when you're doing because I can imagine you, you know, you all those years working in those sections and working for all these artists, but then all of a sudden now coming out with your own record, it's got to be a completely freeing thing for you, right?
1: Freeing, yes. But but George, there's a major learning curve. Yeah,
2: I can imagine. I can imagine.
1: You know, cause luckily for me from the Sugar gang gang days. There was a trumpet player we used from Virginia uh, after we got established when we wanted to have five horns. Because our normal setup was trumpet, tenor, alto, trombone. But on some of the bigger sessions, we wanted to use two trumpets. Hmm. So we brought in Bill. We brought in Sly. We brought in Gerald Shavers. We brought in different cats to fill that seat. And Bill McGee was one of the guys we used. Our trumpet player was Marvin Daniels. And he had went to school with Bill. They were good friends. Um, so Bill did all the Sugar Hill Gang. Now, he's a guy from Virginia. Coming to the city to record for Sugar Hill, and Grandmaster. And we wound up doing some Philly International. He was like, he went, you know, he felt like Cinderella. He didn't look anything like her. But
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was just one happy dude, you yeah. know? So... All of that happened, and we went back to four horns, and we started using different people. And Bill was an excellent flugelhorn player, so he went into the smooth jazz market. He's been in that market for 20 years. Hmm. When I called him and told him what I was going to do, he decided to help me. And any of the major names that I looked up for promoters and different stuff, Bill knew about them. So he's putting together a template for me. But George, it's still a lot of stuff I got to learn. And then after I learn it all, then I have to do one of the things that I like to do, which is talk. (laughs) You couldn't pick that up, could you? Yeah. (laughs) So I, uh, I'm going to have to talk to the different people from the record company, from the, from the uh, radio stations. And, you know, you got to have this whole spiel about what you're doing. But luckily, uh, as they say in the business, I have a lot of ink because of all of the people I've worked for and all this stuff. I mean, when you read my resume, not, not to be funny, but it's kind of unbelievable. Folks be looking at that shit saying, nah, he didn't do all that. (laughs) (laughs) and i can't blame them because it does look kind of crazy um so i'm gonna draw on that that's why the name of the project is going to be called tip my hat Mm -hmm. and i'll be tipping my hat to artists that i love and artists that i've worked with and and people that have influenced me and i've got a foreign model you know, I had to go do the GQ on you. Fine. I got this beautiful girl to come do the photo shoot. Because don't nobody want to look at my old ass? They want to see. They want to see one of those. So the tip my hat part. When the, when the whole. It's going to be an EPK five song. Nice. um as we go through songs when when i go to put the whole epk out that's when girlfriend is going to show up wow. and man i, I should have sent you at least one picture with her <laughs>
0: so now now we're all in suspense now yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> damn i wonder if i could do it while i'm on the phone now because <laughs> i'll try
0: yeah, um, well, we want that suspense. We want people to be like, oh, man, I got to check out a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: She's gorgeous.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's awesome.
1: Gorgeous. And um, <laughs> she wasn't a hat wearer, but I gave her a couple of my hats. And she was feeling it. And yeah. after a while, she started, you know, it gave her a persona. Because, yeah, you know, yeah. persona, whichever way you want to say it. Yeah. In French or English. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she got into the vibe. Um, so that, and tipping my hat, cause you know, I got wall, my, 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 my bedroom has wall, has nails in the wall with hats all over it. And if you look in that first video in my foyer in Bayonne, it wasn't in my closet. It was in, um, it was in my hallway. I had maybe 25 hats on nails,
0: well, I remember uh one of the gigs I, I saw you and I can't remember where it was, but you had like these beautiful boxes that had the actual hats in them. Like they were he had, oh, yeah. had luggage, had luggage for the hats.
1: Yeah, my hat box. There's a company called Belissimo. they make yeah, hats. It was,
0: like, it was like luggage for hats. I was like, man, this guy is
1: serious <laughs> about the hats. Dude. Belissimo awesome. hats are so expensive, I could only afford the box.
3: <laughs> right,
1: <laughs> and i'd be carrying all other hats in there like yeah i, I got my hat yeah i finally right, right. did buy one yeah. but um you that's know fun. 350 is a, is a bit much for a hat wow you know yeah, wow and that's one some of them are more but i did yeah. buy one so i could say hey and um <laughs> the, so that that's the hat story okay now i'm gonna tie in if you don't have any other questions, I'm going to tie in a Sugar Hill and a drum story at the same time.
0: All right. Nice. We, we got questions, but we'd rather hear oh, your I want to hear your stories, man. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> We're cutting for Sugar Hill, and Daryl Dixon, the alto player, is dear friends with Dennis Chambers. Oh, wow. Okay? <laughs> They're just good friends. And... He talked Sugar Hill into bringing Dennis in to do a couple of the sessions. Now, this, and Dennis did some stuff on our first record as well. Oh, okay. um, but the thing you got to know about Dennis, when it comes to funk and stuff, and, you know, we all know he's got tons of chops. Yes. Yeah. But when he comes to the gig, he plays the gig. You know, we were doing a funk tune, uh, original chops tune. And I'm like, Dennis, where's all of the flare? He said, Oh, we don't need no flare on this. It's a straight up song. And he's, I don't know how he got his his timing so good, yeah. but you could put a metronome on in this cat. Yeah. What? Yeah. So I kept bugging him. Dennis, you gotta play something. He said, okay, an intro. He did one of these. Then he went back to the funk. <laughs> and that's the only part of the record that he 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 got flashy. Wow. And, and it was only for three beats. All right. So we're at Sugar Hill doing a session and me and the trombone player, we're going to the store for a fifth sandwich and a couple of fries. Nice. All right. So we get in my scamp. I had a scamp at the time. So you know how long ago that was. Um, so we're on our way to the store, lo and behold, I rushed in the car and didn't close my door all the way. Hmm. Did not realize that until I turned, I turned onto the block where the store was. My door flew open and I went out the door.
3: Oh, <laughs>
1: oh no. I'm holding onto the steering wheel and you know, the hump in your car between yeah. you two seats. That's where my feet were. Oh, okay. Holding, holding yourself. <laughs> holding myself. I couldn't get to the brakes or anything like that. <laughs> so as the car is going, I'm holding and I'm looking. We're drifting towards parked cars.
3: Oh, my oh, no.
1: So what that means is. The door is going to hit. Yes, yeah. The door open this way. Right. The door is going to hit. And then the door is going to crush me. Right. <laughs> right. So I had a choice. Do I let go and fall out? And all I could do was the trombone player doesn't drive. I said, Booney, turn the wheel. (laughs) (laughs) So Booney starts turning the wheel. We drift away from the car, right? But he turns it too much. And now we're going towards (laughs) the curb on the other side of the street. And there was a little park there. Wow. Wow! But I'm only going like... 14 miles an hour, you know? I'm not going fast, fast. So we hit the curve, we popped the curve, and we hit this little wooden box. This little wooden box happened to be the electrical box for the electricity across the street. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) We hit the box, the box goes flying, but at the bottom of the box, there was a bar. So my car came this way and got caught on that bar, so I couldn't back up. Cause you know, a brother was gonna get out of there. You're
0: gonna be out, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so I couldn't move my car. So I look across the street, and every store, the lights are out. And this one guy, <laughs> he's a barber cutting the guy's hair. He came outside. The dude with the with the bib on. He gets out of the chair. And everybody's walking outside, and I'm saying, "Oh, holy hell!" So
0: these these. Damn jazz musicians, man. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, we were funk guys. Light come on. It was it was, it was, it was we funk. was hipping and a hopping.
0: Funk guys.
1: <laughs> so Booney is in tears once he realized nobody was hurt.
0: Right.
1: <laughs> and so the cops come. They get, we lift the car off the, off the, off the box. Um, they couldn't give me a ticket for reckless driving because, you know, it was an accident. An accident. Um, so what they did was they took my information and they said, look, we're going to give you information to the electrical company and whatever it costs to fix this, you're going to have to pay for it. Okay. So we get our fish sandwich and a couple of fries.
0: <laughs> you still went for that. Still got the sandwich. That must be a really
1: good fish, man. Man, I was hungry, bro. So we're driving back to the studio, and I'm looking at Bonnie and he can't keep a straight face. I said, <laughs> bonnie you can't tell this story. bonnie come on now. You got to help a brother out. He never said yes or no. He just kept laughing. We get to the studio. The first person standing outside was Dennis. So he tells Dennis the whole story. (laughs) So now Dennis and him go into the studio laughing hysterically. (laughs) And they start saying, yo, 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 y'all got to see what Doc did. You know? So, (laughs) So everybody knew the story. Every time for the next, and this is no lie, for the next five to seven years, I saw Dennis. I'd go see him at the, you know, I'd go see him at the Blue Note or, mm-hmm. or when he was out with uh, Santana. Right he would bring that fucking story up. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah, remember? I said, Dennis, you better be quiet because he likes to smoke cigars on the slide, but mm. his wife hates it. <laughs> so I said, Dennis, you keep teasing me. I'm going to tell your wife about those cigars. That's, oh. <laughs> That's no. the only way I can quiet down. Um, no. 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 But I've never met a more humble guy with so much chops. Yeah, I went to see him at the Uridium, and he broke his sneer head, right? That Negro... Played with one hand and his feet, unscrewed the drum head, took it off, went in his bag, got another head, put it on, screwed that shit back on, and and started hitting it. Pop, 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 till he got it to where it should be, right? Now, if you were not watching this.
0: You wouldn't believe it.
1: You would have never realized.
0: Oh, you're never right. Right. That it was, yeah. that, that nothing happened. Yeah.
1: Yeah. His playing yeah. So good with two feet and, and one hand. Last Dennis story. We finished the chops record and we do some gigs in North Carolina and Virginia. And we play this club that has three rooms that are connected in the middle. But there were different bands in each room, right? Hmm. So we had our little funk crowd. You had a, a a country and western crowd, and you had a rock band crowd. Now, technically, you couldn't really hear the other music too good. You could hear it a little bit. All right. We get to the part where Dennis has a solo. Dennis cleared out those other two rooms.
0: They all, wow, yeah. Wow. Uh- I-
1: was packed people were like this during his just, solo
0: just to see the solo
1: and, yeah that's the sad part John <laughs> <laughs> after the solo the crowd went back to the wherever they were
0: you're like no
1: and, wait a minute wait wait hit his horse somewhere yeah. was like man later for that Damn. we might hit that drummer so that that just shows you you know
0: we had a little bit of experience that we saw Dennis. We have shown Dennis uh, numerous times. I think at the bottom line.
2: Yeah, we saw him at the bottom line with uh, I think it was John McLaughlin. We John saw John McLaughlin. Him and, yeah. Uh, and we, when we, was, when, uh, we left, when we left that gig, we were like we felt sick. It was so. Yeah, crazy. we were actually
0: like physically <laughs> ill right. from how much tension and how much music that we were absorbing and his. Yeah. And he did he did something like that once where he was um I think Joy and I were like what he was he was playing. He's that's all this crazy going on. He stops for a second. He grabs. It's still going. We're still yeah. here. <laughs> One hand. He grabs a towel. He kind of just dries his face. He takes a drink. Yeah. It's still going. <laughs> We're like, what the hell? It's incredible.
1: Yeah. He he was uh now yeah John Schofield, huh? he was the first fusion cat that brought Dennis on huh. from yeah. the beginning. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So years later, uh, Sting calls Dennis. Wow. And John called them the same day. I think or it was real close. He told he told me and Daryl this story. Right. So he so he says Sting's and you know how big he is. John's big, but come yeah. on.
0: Yes. Yeah, Sting.
1: Yeah. So he turns Sting down. He said, no, I'm sorry, you know, I'm I'm going out with John. He said, what? John McLaughlin? I mean, you know, John Schofield? What? Yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: You gonna go out with him and not me? And he told him, he said, John was the first guy that kind of turned me on to the business.
0: Right. Yeah, he's loyal.
1: Yeah, yes. Sting, Sting understood. Of yes. course, he's got he's got some lo- loyalty things. When when we were on the Ghost in the Machine tour, we played somewhere in the Midwest, and they got snowed in, snowed out. Yeah. You know, the concert was a flop. You know, blizzard. And Sting, I heard him on the plane. I heard him with my own mouth. Tell the tell the manager to uh, give the guy half of his money back.
2: Wow! Wow! Wow!
1: Oh, because they were paid already. Were paid yeah, already. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, wow. W-
2: when you were when you were out with the police, did you experience any of that uh, that crazy tension that the those guys had, or or anything, or was just or was it just a smooth thing for you?
1: Well, the <laughs> the, ten- the tension was kind of starting.
2: Oh, okay.
1: Okay. So the first gig we did with them was in Philadelphia, and with sound checking. And there's this one particular song uh, where they wanted to work it out that everybody was hitting together. Mm-hmm. Right. So Stuart, Stewart says this thing. He says, man, I can't see you. You know, you're not mm-hmm. singing. You're only playing bass. Right. So could you walk away from the microphone and come into a spot so I can see you? Sting said, man, Move one of those symbols. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Move a symbol so you can see me." He said, "You want me to mess up my rig, when all you got to do is take a few steps one way." Now we're looking at each other. This is the first like gig. Right. We're looking at each other like, "Holy hell!"
0: Be a long tour. Yeah, to yeah. Talk,
1: but. We also said, for the money these jokers are paying us. Hey,
0: that's it, man. Just yes. do it.
1: <laughs> and I was 24 years old. I had never toured. Wow. And, and for that, to, well, I had never done a big tour. We did do Howard Melvin in the Blue Notes. Okay. And that was a bus tour. And I slept by a broken window where I used to have to put my clothes bag up. from. Oh, wow. <laughs>
0: that's roughing it out.
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Talk about Chitlin Circuit wasn't even no Chitlin's. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a circuit and it wasn't spelled circuit. So, right. <laughs> so this is my first major tour. And the other thing was the music, guys. These are three prolific players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they never did the same shit twice every night. Like yeah like with Alicia and other tours we've done, you know, you do a you do a 2 to 3 month rehearsal period. You, you work out the show somewhere like the police did that. They worked out the show in in Germany. And then we took it around the world. Um but they would do something different every night in a different song. And what we would do was step away from the microphones and when they went off into their little tangent, we would make up some parts oh, okay.
3: yeah.
1: on the spot. Because you know, we 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 all had good ears, and that was what we did. We read music, yeah. but at that time we were doing more head arrangements. Mm-hmm. So we come to the mic playing some whole stuff they never heard. Once we did that, they go even some somewhere further because they were feeding off of what we were doing. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yep, yep. That's dude. Awesome.
1: dude Wow. And Andy Summers, yeah, nobody at the time was playing those colors like him.
0: Right, yeah, he's a monster. People, I don't think people even realize how prolific he is as a yeah. as a chord arranger. Like his chord structures and are very unique. They are like he, keyboards.
1: Yes, yeah. and he had this stuff where they all had pedals. He would hit a pedal. He would hit a chord. And he did a pedal, like a sustained pedal. And that chord would ring. And then he'd play two other chords after it, and then do a rhythm thing over that. And it sounded like three dudes.
0: Right. Wow.
1: Then we got Stewart that had a delay on his bass drum. Boom, 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 boom. And he knew where that delay was. Yeah. So he could double up and do things where it sounded like he had two pedals. Oh wow now, Dennis could do that shit without delay. that's <laughs> true. Yeah.
2: that's true very true he one
1: <laughs> but Stewart used it in a way and another thing people don't know about Stuart was he never had a drum lesson. So mm. all of those crashes, awkward sounding fills that he did was just him.
2: Just yeah, him, yeah, yeah,
1: and a lot of folks started copying that style. Right. Yep, yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, imagine having people copy you like that—like you originate something—and yeah. S- and Andy too. Um, uh, yeah. and you got to give Sting his credit because he wrote—he wrote all the songs, and yeah. that dude gave up thirty percent of his songwriting royalties.
0: From the world. yeah, for uh, yeah. yeah,
1: to give to the yeah. guy, right. 000.
0: Yeah,
1: but right. Stuff. So. He didn't have to do that. If yeah. that was Madonna, they wouldn't have got Jack.
0: True. true, true. But, but I also have to think that Sting understands. Uh, and I've seen interviews with Sting. I don't know Sting, obviously, but I, I I've seen interviews where it seems like he understands that the guys that are around him really make what he's doing so much better. Exactly. And those those songs, the police songs are. You're not. Who sounds like the police? Nobody. Right, nobody sounds like those guys, and it was because it was those particular three guys. I think you know, he probably wouldn't have done it. Madonna can't do it because I don't think Madonna has her own, you know, she created yeah. a
1: pop kind of a theme. yeah, but still, she's cold blooded, you know. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, I hey, I know from experience because her first hit, Holiday, boom, boom, mm-hmm. that was written by a group called Pure Energy from East Army. Oh really? Okay. Their lead singer girl Lisa took her in the studio and showed her how to sing the song. Okay. Oh wow. I didn't know
2: that. I didn't know that either.
1: <laughs> now they got paid, they wound up building a the studio. They, you know, yeah, they yeah. used that money wisely. She that was one of the last songs she did a video on because she didn't have the rights. And mm. when the next album came out. She didn't give them a shot; wouldn't take any of their material. Really? But now she's this you you superstar, so yeah. she didn't get material from anybody. That was right. wrong. She should have right. taken one of their songs. Now, in retrospect, look at the police. You know they got a reggae influence, right? Yes,
2: yeah, right. Absolutely. absolutely.
1: You guys know George where it came from. Hmm. <laughs> Pickle, tickle, tickle. I'm here. <laughs> God, I'm putting you under the gun, too.
0: I would just say Bob Marley. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good guess, but No, black or uh, hmm. That's who they used to listen to. Uh-huh. And that's where they got their vibe. Yeah. Now, only reason I know this is because I was in the band. Right. And. What they did was when they got to the States. They brought Black Uhuru to the States for their very first time to open for them. Oh, wow, that was yeah. their payback, right? Amazing. And Black Uhuru, right. because of that, blew up. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Now, do you think Madonna would have brought Prio Energy?
2: That's <laughs> true.
0: <laughs>
1: to open for her, hell no! So, this, yeah, this is
0: interesting though, because could it be because there's like an English understanding like you know you look at the stones and you look at zeppelin and you look at all the Beatles. they really revere our southern artists you know the blues artists and all that and they really they, they put they showcase them yep. you know quite honestly you know i mean the, the rolling stones are a blues band really right I mean, they're not really a mm-hmm. rock band they're a blues band right It does a little rock you know um but they do actually do that so i don't know maybe that's something to do with the you know, the doggy dog world of America and the love and the you know honor of play that kind of music when you're overseas? Well,
1: I got to tell you, we did a record last year, which we're going to re-release. Um, we're well, really two years ago, but we're going to re-release it. Uh, Chops and Soul. Huh. And the, the leader singer was uh, Joe Parisian from Canada. And we nicknamed him Soul Joel, right? So that's where the Chops and Soul came from. Everybody mm-hmm. called him Soul. Because mm-hmm. he's the funkiest singing white boy you ever met. Nice. <laughs> now, he had mad respect for us. It's because he came from Canada. Mm-hmm. People from other countries, they listen to what we do. And it's a whole other thing. Even with the police. They specifically told the cats, we want a black horn section. We want that James Brown vibe. We want right, Right. right. <laughs> and the guy that introduced us to them, he had white horn players that tried to get the gig. So hmm. that's not what they wanted. So, you know, and I agree with you, John, I but I don't think it's just England. I think
0: yeah, it's, it's over anyone anywhere else.
1: Anywhere else. <laughs> anywhere
0: else. Yeah. Let me let
2: me ask you, I'm just curious. Well, what was the most challenging gig you ever did?
0: The
1: most challenging.
0: Well, um, you just talked about being at a on a bus with no window. Well, yeah, I, but I'm I'm talking about music <laughs> musically, on actually, you know,
2: on a tour oh, or something, there, or, there, or not even not in a yet. session where it was like so challenging. It was you, you know.
1: Well, you're gonna laugh when I tell you this um my high school put together an alumni band and some of the guys that picked some of the songs <laughs> man let me tell you they 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 said oh don't worry doc you'll be you'll, you'll be okay I said "Yeah, okay I said well you know just for some just send me some of the stuff let me see it Two weeks beforehand, they sent me three songs. I practiced those songs 30 minutes a day every day until the concert time just to be because it kind of featured me in some spots Yeah, just to be able to keep up. And I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> wow. So that was one of the most challenging things I have to say I've done now. Uh, the police gig was the easiest gig I did, ever yeah. did. Right and it was the, the financially, it was the be- the better paying gig. Oh, yeah. So in general, and John, I think you'll vouch for this. Usually, the, the less you make, <laughs> the harder the gig. <laughs> <laughs> the, more, the more you make, you know, I mean, I, I just did a birthday party for a guy you know, cause I do weddings and stuff like that. And I do a karaoke thing and, um, we did a 30 minute set. DJ went for 30 minutes. We came back, we did another 30 minutes and we were out. Yeah. And he paid me the same amount that I, I would get for a four hour job.
3: You um, know? So yeah. Yeah. it, it, it really, it
1: really, um, it really changes now. Um, when it comes to arrangements, uh, my partner, Daryl Dixon, he writes some crazy stuff because he was a drummer. Right. So he's very syncopated. Um, and I've done a bunch of really difficult sessions.
3: Hmm.
1: You know, recording sessions hmm. for unknown people. And uh, lately, what have you been doing lately, Dave? Oh, uh, <laughs> Lately I've been working, believe it or not, for Tracy Morgan. Really? Oh. really? Tracy, Tracy can sing.
2: Wow.
3: Really? I, I didn't no know that.
1: Now, see, see, that's why that's why you guys got me here.
2: Yeah, that's <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> Tracy likes old 70s RB. Oh. Like it's a thin line between love and hate.
2: Great song. Isn't
1: yeah. The version of that. And he likes to copy everything on the record. Uh, sa-ta-da-da, sa-ta-da-da, Baby, what's the name of this song? I can't think of. Hills, 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 hills. Man, I can't think of the, the name of the song.
2: Mm. And I'm back together again.
1: Back together again. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. He redid that. So um, he came to me through a recommendation do strings and horns for all of his stuff right
3: Hmm.
1: now my wife's a violinist so you know i handed the first song off (laughs) and but i watched what she was doing but she did the arrangement Um, okay second song came up she said man i'm too busy for this i can't (laughs) i can't be doing your work
0: Get in there, doc.
1: Yeah, she said, don't worry. You could do this. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. It took me eight times longer to do than she would have done.
2: Right. But right.
1: I did. Song number one. Song number two. Song number three. I've done in the past three years 14 songs for him.
0: Wow, really? And is this something that he's putting out or just he's just got it? In the shelf, he's listening, he, he just shares it with friends?
1: Yep, he shares it with friends, and he, he did it because it's something he enjoys. Yeah. Look at that now look. imagine having cool. enough money to be able to do that.
0: Right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. That's so cool. I had no idea that he even sung. Me either.
1: And when they sent me the first song after we did the music, they sent me the finished thing with his vocal. I did not believe it
0: really wow
1: said, nah, that ain't tracy and then at one point he went well 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 and i was like oh snap that yeah. is tracy <laughs> it, and he said here we "Go, y'all here we go and then he was talking so and you
0: hear him, and you hear that voice yeah. Very distinctive. yeah wow so, that's so cool
1: and so yeah yeah so that's one of the things i've been doing since the pandemic uh pandemic i mean <laughs> it is it, it is a damn damn it oh no, yeah, no.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, i uh got my my little home studio up and running three months before we got shut down right mm. and it saved my life i tell you man god is god is good because anytime i get in a situation and i start doing something that i really didn't plan on doing it turns out that i needed to do that
3: Mm, right. Yep. yep.
1: Because if I didn't put the studio together, and I would have waited till after the pandemic, I, they, you know, I would have lost work. So yeah. folks started calling me, and because we could do everything at home. Yeah. Um. So that kind of saved me. And a similar situation happened when I was touring with Alicia. Uh, we're in China, and she decides she's going to downsize her band. Mm. So me and one of the keyboard players got sent home. Hmm. Mm. I'm, and I'm on the plane, 13 hours, all upset. And then I got into a peaceful moment and listening to my man upstairs. And he said, wait a minute, you prayed about this before you left to go on tour. And you said, God, if this is right for me, make it happen. And I told you, I got your back. So I went on tour. I know this sounds a little crazy, but it's true.
2: No, no, absolutely so, not.
1: So, I'm on a plane, a quiet moment. So he says to me, Did I tell you Alicia Keys had your back? Well, I had your back.
2: Mm-hmm. There you go.
1: And I was like, Yeah, you said you. I calmed down. As soon as my plane landed, and this is crazy. I'm riding home in the cab. I get a phone call, and a guy calls me and gives me 10 jobs. <laughs> wow. He said, "Look, my sax player got ill, and plus, I'm getting pissed at him. I fired him. I need. Can you do X, Y, Z? And I'm in my phone. Okay, I'll take that date. All right, yeah, I can do that. I could ten dates.
0: So right? Wow.
1: Okay, it gets better. So I get back into teaching because I I have to I only had 18 and a half years in. I had to get to 25. Mm-hmm. Get back into teaching. Come to find out, our friend Christy change the requirements for retirement. Uh-huh. And if my black ass would have came off the road one more year later, I would have missed the window for 25 years retirement. I already missed the age. Mm-hmm. It was 55-25. Right. Wow. I caught the last year, which now was 62-25. The next year would have been sixty-two thirty.
0: 30. Oh, wow. oh, man.
1: I would have gotten another five years tacked on to my teaching thing. And I wouldn't have finished. I couldn't have done. Uh, I had 18 years in, 1920. Right. I couldn't. I couldn't. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, man. Another four, 12 years. Yeah. So I thought coming off the road was a bad thing. But but you see what I mean?
2: Turned out to be a blessing. Yeah, Yeah, one door closes, the other one opens, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so sometimes when something goes wrong, don't look at it in a negative way because you might be late for something, but if you would have been on time, a truck would have hit your car. You see what I mean?
3: Yeah.
1: You know, so I've learned how to roll with it, and I think age has done that for me. Hmm. Uh, So once I got the studio up and we're working and stuff, that's when I got the idea, you know what? It's time for me to do something for myself.
0: Yeah. For so you. we're just, I uh, can't believe we, we talk. It's like an hour goes by. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to talk about the, your, your record. Um, and we'll talk about it. I mean, if you have a few minutes. Um, tell me a little bit about, because I know you, 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 you're doing this tip in your hat. Mm-hmm. What inspired you as far as the artist that you chose? Like, what was it? Was it that something that you just knew for a long time? Or was it a personal, something spiritual?
1: Well, what happens is, as you go through your life, certain artists make an imprint, put an imprint in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I originally was just going to do people that I worked with. You know, tipping my hat to Alicia, to to Jennifer, you know, there's so many different people I work for. But when this song started developing, it gave me a Marvin Gaye vibe and no disrespect for any other Motown artist, but he was my favorite. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. I mean, who's who's better than Marvin Gaye?
1: You know, I mean, Stevie, come on now. Stevie did his thing. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. can you know, Ashford and Simpson, we can go through some, some sure, folk. Sure. Yeah.
0: Smokey Robinson.
1: Yeah. You know, but uh Marvin did it for me. Yeah. And coincidentally, I started asking people like at the barbershop and all. <clears throat> and a lot of the young generation, they don't know who Marvin Gaye is.
2: Ugh. Oh, I know. That's it's terrible.
1: So I'm thinking that this will help me.
2: right <laughs> Yep.
1: Give them a little history, you know? Oh, yeah. And on the gospel thing, we started at Savoy Records. And uh, um, uh, the, the the gentleman that, Tim Scheider, that was uh, Gary Scheider's younger brother. Mm-hmm. Gary Scheider was the guy that wore the diaper in the Fungadelics.
2: Oh, um, yeah.
1: Okay. His younger brother had a studio, and he recorded Chops and recorded most of our first record. And got a good sound for he, he knew the horn section really well. We were doing a session for him for a female. And after it was over, he said, Dave, I think you should do this song on flute. So everybody left, and me and him stayed in the studio, and I laid down all his flute stuff. And that's how that song came about. Wow. Wow. Now, the third song is going to be a funk song, and a gentleman by the name of J.D. Blair from Tennessee, he's from your area now. Cool. J.D. Blair, he wrote the rhythm track, and you know him because he played drums for Shania Twain.
2: Oh, oh okay. okay. Yeah.
1: And he's worked with Victor Wooten, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. 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 Look up J.D. Blair, B L A I R, J.D.
3: Yeah, for sure okay
2: absolutely
1: and he's a devout christian too and he, yeah. he helped keep me in line <laughs> <laughs> oh so man those are the next those are the first three yeah i'm gonna do an alicia song which i haven't picked yet and i'm gonna do a police or sting song one of wow. the oh okay that's gonna be the first five
0: wow well we're definitely looking forward that's to exciting. that exciting and, Doug, I mean, what can I say? Every time you come on, it's like we could just sit here and just hear you talk for like hours. <laughs> the uh, the stories are always great, but they're also like motivational because they have such they have meaning behind them. So they're right. not just stories from the road. They're stories that have a purpose. And like you mentioned, uh, getting those jobs, you know, coming back, and I think it just has to do with the temperament that you have and the viewpoint that you know what. I got music in my life. I got God in my life. I got family. I got, I'm fine no matter what happens. And then you're just going to get things, you know? So that's, that's a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah. And it's funny. 10 minutes before I got on this call, I was like, man, what are we going to talk about? (laughs) 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 <laughs> An hour later, <laughs> but look. Some,
2: sometimes it's like when you get when you have a gig and you just improvise, and the improvisation is better than anything you could write. Sometimes it just That's works good. out that way, right? Yeah. That's That's
1: yeah. All right, I didn't get to answer a lot of your questions, George. No, so you, no,
2: I, I had a great time. No, it was fantastic, great. man.
1: So you know what that means. That means I'll be black. I mean, back.
0: <laughs> we, we would love to have you on man. again. Absolutely. You'll be back and black. Can I say that? I don't even know. <laughs> gonna, I don't get canceled.
1: <laughs> I'll be okay. Now, uh, once, you know, I get close to release time, we yeah. can talk. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah,
0: you af- absolutely. I'll tell you that. Um, Doc, thank you so much. We're going to actually, uh, uh, play your track again. We're going to close off the show, hang out tight real quick, and we will be right with you. But thank you so much for being on. Come back again. Um, we love uh, the track, we love the stories and everything. And you're awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thank oh, you. My
1: pleasure. Thanks, guys, for inviting you
0: know, me. You got it. Wow, <laughs> unbelievable, huh? Yeah, what an is.
2: inspiring. I mean, he's got such he's not only if his story is inspiring, but
0: he's just an inspiring person. He is, and it's energy too, you know. And I'm, that's what I was talking about. When you have that energy towards life, right? You're just gonna exactly. bring in things. Absolutely. It's just the way life works. That's why when you, if you walk around like this, oh man, yeah, it no, sucks, man, you know, what do you think you're gonna bring in? You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. But this is this is how it works. So it's a beautiful thing. And uh, yeah, so thank you everybody for uh, for uh, tuning in. We're gonna play uh, this track by uh, Doc Watson again, and uh, we'll see you all again next week. Take care, everybody. Peace.
3: Mm -hmm. Wish you were still here today